0: Well, well, well. Good morning. Back at it again, I see. Well, we'll try and be gentle. It's Monday, after all. Here on Magnificat Radio at MagnificatMedia.com. Welcome to your morning tradition, where we are living our traditional Catholic faith. Not just here on your morning tradition, but throughout your day, with conferences and prayers and Songs and music and things like that. I guess songs would be music, wouldn't it?
1: It would you know, be. It's kind
0: of one of the same. <laughs> well, as we celebrate the month of May, yes. right in May Day yesterday, our Ladies Month. It is. Isn't that some? We had a May crowning. Hopefully you did too. Uh, and oh, praise be Jesus, Mary and Joseph.
1: Now and forever.
0: Yesterday being the feast of St. Joseph the Worker.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, we uh, we were blessed to have Father Matthew from Our Lady of Guadalupe Monastery uh, with us at our chapel. And Father Matthew uh, agreed to uh, talk with us about um, coming up later in, in the month on the... Um,
1: Corpus Christi. Corpus
0: Christi. There you go. I keep wanting to say Christ the King. Uh, Feast of Corpus Christi. Yeah. And so that'll be happening, of course. Later in later the month. Later in the month. <laughs> Imagine, imagine how that works. <laughs> uh, so our thanks to uh, Father Cyprian and all the, By the way, continue to pray for Father Cyprian at Our Lady of Guadalupe Monastery. Yes. Uh, as he continues to recover from that knee injury he had back around Christmas already. Uh, Father continues to do well. I think he's on the mend.
1: Well, hopefully now. He was still having problems genuflecting before Easter, was it?
0: Yeah, right around Easter. Yeah. Father was telling us. And then, uh, thanks be to God for a traditional Catholic physical therapist. Now, there's something you don't hear about every day.
1: No, you
0: don't. That would be... But I guess she's really good. Let's see. Traditional Catholic physical therapist. If you were going to abbreviate that on your business card, T-C-P-C. No, P-T. T-C-P-T. Okay. T-C-P-T. <laughs> Weird. Sounds like I'm speaking an Indian language. Uh-huh. T-C-P-T. Uh, that would be your traditional Catholic physical therapist. But she, she's worked miracles on Father's knee, and he can now genuflect and uh, is on the mend. So, uh, Father Cyprian, if you're listening, any of the brothers out there in the in uh, the mountains?
1: God bless you for all you do.
0: Silver City. Thank you for the Abbey Roast. You guys, that is a godsend to all of us <laughs> yeah. here in the flat land. <laughs> It All perks right. us up. It does. Uh, and I tried this thing over the weekend. If you hear anything about this stuff, I'm just going to put it out there. It's co- Did I mention this the other day that I was going to try it out?
1: Yes, Friday. Did I? Yeah, about the coffee?
0: Yeah. It's called Bulletproof Coffee. And you put butter in it and coconut oil and stuff. Okay. It wasn't bad. It really wasn't bad. However, I will say, unless you have a flavored cream or a sugars in it, which I don't put either in my coffee usually, Uh it's a little bleh. And I don't like just cream in my coffee. If I'm going to have coffee without, if there's cream in it, it needs to be sweet.
1: Don't you think? Right, but you didn't put your vanilla in it.
0: I didn't. But I still don't think that's, here's the bottom line for me. Bulletproof coffee, not worth the effort. (laughs) Because you gotta put butter in there, coconut oil, a little bit of a little bit of uh what is it you just said? Vanilla. Vanilla, Vanilla flavoring, you blend it all up. By then, man, was, was coffee, it frothy? It was frothy. And it was nice, but it wasn't nice enough for me to put all that work into it when I can just brew a good cup of coffee from Abbey Roast just the way it is, and it just tastes just fine. Oh,
1: it does. Abbey Roast tastes fine. So there
0: you go. It's up to you. If you want to try this Bulletproof Coffee stuff, it's all over the internet. You can find recipes. It's supposed
1: recipes to be a dietary thing, isn't it?
0: Yeah, something to do with the way the molecules work. And I don't want to be messing with my molecules. My molecules are fine. <laughs> yeah, they are. And, and after donuts yesterday, I got plenty more molecules. <laughs> way more than I need. So there you go. Coming up today as we move forward into the month of May and uh, closer to uh, Mother's Day coming up this weekend. Yes. Uh, let's not forget that uh-huh. and our blessed Mother. But uh, Mother's Day this weekend what a what a divine calling it is to be a mother. And so we've uh, had these mothers' Day, mothers these conferences on motherhood mm-hmm. today is uh, the the next in the series. So join us at noon and again at seven o'clock later tonight Central Time United States of America. Uh, that'll be that. So what else did I miss? Anything?
1: Mm-hmm. Think you got it? Really.
0: I think That's so. All, of it, huh? all right, right.
1: Monday to me always seems to be like a. I'm trying to get going.
0: Oh yeah, it always. You know, is. And by the time always Friday is. comes
1: here, I'm a little bit more peppier.
0: You're not peppier know why. on Friday. I'm always run down. Oh, <laughs> I'm happy
1: on Friday. Yeah. But yeah, Monday, I'm just trying to get going here. Well, we're, <laughs> hopefully,
0: we're helping to do that and to make that happen. Father Peter Scott will be our guest here in just moments here on your morning tradition. Father Scott uh has said he will join us now once a week as and start a whole series of talks with us on the mass the holy sacrifice of the mass the different parts of the mass uh what else the well it's just how it all fits together the prayers of the mass
1: everything about the mass father's going to talk about and so, he's going to break it down in little things so yes. that we understand well, the hopefully. importance of each one
0: hopefully we understand it
1: I'm sure we will. Anyway,
0: so that's that. We're going to get a hold of Father Scott via Skype from South Africa today. In just moments, uh, Stephen Cox will be along with the news right now, Lisa, on this May 2nd. I would love to ask you. Yes. How can you know where you're going? If
1: you don't know where you've been.
0: That's why we do this day in history. We have made history. Any day in history. A day that will go down in history.
2: History of this day. this day. This day in history.
0: Today happens to be May the 2nd. It is the 123rd day in the year of our Lord, 2016. It was on this day in 1194, Old King Richard I of England, you know, the guy who came back from the Crusades and all that stuff, mm-hmm. he gave Portsmouth, England, its first royal charter. This granted permission for him to have uh, free market fair days and weekly markets and local court to deal with minor matters, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera.
1: On this day in 1536, Anne Boleyn, Queen of England, is arrested and imprisoned on charges of adultery, incest, treason, and witchcraft.
0: Wow. Yeah. 1611, uh, the King James Bible was published for the first time in London, England, by printer Robert Barker.
1: On this day in 1670, King Charles II of England grants a permanent charter to the Hudson Bay Company to open up the fur trade in North America.
0: And it was on this day in 1885. Apparently nothing happened that was good between 1670 and 1885 on this day. So 1885, Good Housekeeping magazine went on sale for the first time ever
1: on this day may 2nd in 1945 world war Two, fall of berlin the soviet union announces the capture of berlin and soviet soldiers hoist their red flag over the reichstag building Did I like I
0: how, yeah but you got a good good old head of in there that was good <laughs> on your part
1: uh, did I do it right? Yeah,
0: the old Reichstag. Okay, then. like that. That's kind of fun to do. And it was on this day in 2011, Osama bin Laden, suspected mastermind behind the September 11th attacks, the FBI's most wanted man, was killed by United States Special Forces in Abbottabad, Pakistan. Now you know where you have been, and we shall come back here because this is where you have been, and will remain, hopefully, for a while. Thanks for being part of our day and letting us be part of yours. Mike and Lisa Austin here at Magnificat Radio, MagnificatMedia.com, your morning tradition, where we are
1: living our faith.
0: Magnificat Radio here at MagnificatMedia.com, your morning tradition with Mike and Lisa Austin, as we work in conjunction with uh, SSPX Radio Nigeria mm-hmm. to bring forth uh, some really good information, good interviews with none other than... Father Peter Scott, Father Peter Scott, welcome again.
2: How are you doing, Mike and Lisa? We're fine, thank We're you. We're doing
0: fine, and I hope things are well in Africa.
2: Oh, they certainly are. Yes, indeed.
0: All right, we are going to start sort of a new series here, as we finished up with the Seven Capital Vices last time, and in in looking back and forward at the same time, as we look back on what the Mass was, what it has become, i.e., the Novissordo. And the mass of all time, how it—all of the changes that have come, and that we talk about all the time within our our chapels and amongst our friends, Father. We were hoping that maybe you could give us some clarification on the things that have changed, the things that were okay to change, and the things that aren't, and just sort of uh, go through all of that with us here in the next few uh, sessions, I suppose.
2: That certainly is a huge, uh, huge bite to chew. We have a lot to talk about, and we can maybe, we just have to do one step at a time. Sure. And one step at a time, I think it's really important for us to understand the traditional Latin mass first, why it is as it is, why it's called the mass of all time, and that term was coined by Archbishop of Febvre for a very precise reason, why it is that it's also called the true mass and not the false mass, as we often call the new mass. And all of these are profoundly theological questions which we have to understand, not questions of sentiment, not questions even of Latin, not questions of personal preference, but they're questions of faith. And if we're going to understand the traditional Latin mass, and to understand that this is the greatest mystery this side of heaven, we have to have a great faith, and it's through the eyes of faith that we can understand what the traditional Latin Mass really means, and why it is so important to us and to our spiritual lives. Why it sanctifies and transfer transforms and converts souls, and why it is and how it's opposed to the humanism, the man of the new Mass. First of all, why do we use this term, the Mass of all time? And this question is is important. Is a profound one, because the true Mass, the traditional Latin Mass, was handed down to us from the first centuries of the Church, from time immemorial. Nobody knows the origins of the traditional Latin Mass. What we do know is it was formed in the first three to four centuries of the Church, that the last person who made any changes to the canon of the traditional Latin Mass was Pope Gregory the Great, who died in the year 604, and his changes were very, very small, and he tells us what they were. We know that Pope Vigilius, in the year 538, stated that the Mass was of apostolic origin, comes from the Apostles, and that consequently it must not and cannot ever be changed. And this is not something which was invented by people who don't like the new mass this is the year 538 <laughs> and you can see that the whole sense of tradition is fundamental to the handing down of the sacred liturgy it's a passing down from the apostles it's not something which is invented or adapted or or or, or something which is According to different circumstances or cultures or people, it comes down from the time of the apostles in its essential lines. Although we can trace the changes and adaptations and additions that were made over the centuries, the essential things are unchanged since the first centuries of the church. And it's handed down then by the apostles to teach us how to worship God, how to love God. And that never changes as God never changes. This is why we call it the Mass. Of all time. Mm-hmm. We call it the true Mass because it is the ceremonies and prayers which express the teaching of the church concerning the sacrifice of the mass, which teaching is summarized in the Council of Trent. and the, 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 the prayer of the church and our prayers must express our faith and what we believe in. It's a true mass because it expresses the faith of the church. And the mass, of course, as you know from your catechism, Mm -hmm. is a sacrifice, the sacrifice of the new law, in which Christ offers himself to his Father through the hands of the priests, under the appearances of the bread and wine. It is a true sacrifice, a sacrifice for sins, an action which then puts God and man back together after having been separated by their sins. And so consequently, it's a sacred action, which is not something for man to make us feel good, to make us understand, even to make us pray. It's something to bring graces from God upon fallen mankind. And it's that action which Christ himself performed upon the cross, but which is renewed in an unbloody manner in the Mass. And this is the teaching of the Church, it's Catholic doctrine, and it's called the true Mass because the traditional Latin Mass expresses perfectly Mm -hmm. this teaching of the Church. Whereas the new Mass was deliberately designed in an ambiguous manner that it would be used and could be used by those who did not share and who do not share the belief of the Church in what the Mass is as a true, proper, propitiatory sacrifice. And that's why it is that the new mass is not the true mass. It is a mass which combines with some elements of the Catholic faith, elements of Protestantism, and elements of modernism, to make a an ambiguous hodgepodge of all kinds of things, which does not express the faith, and hence it's not true. It's not upright. It's not complete. It's not entire. It's not what the mass ought to be. It's false.
0: The, we... um. I often, well, not often, but I have been in discussions in the past with uh, Novus Sordo Catholics, plus uh, friends of mine and non-Catholics, and you always get this. Well, but you're so nostalgic. You're just nostalgic. That's you're just clinging to the old, and it's hard in just within just a few words to get the nuances out in such a clear, crisp manner. You know, if, if you're in a, a, a short conversation, which I rarely am, but it's it's hard to to describe why the Mass is the Mass of all times in a few words. I don't know if you have any suggestions on how to just say that other than just to say,
2: it's the Mass of all times. We have to express the fact that the true Mass enables us sinners to be reconciled with God. And that's why it's characterized by prayer and recollection and the sense of the sacred in which man, the sinner, turns back to his creator whom he has offended. And in the Mass, the priest is the ambassador of Christ, the mediator between God and man, as Christ is the one and only mediator taking his place. That's why the priest turns towards God. That's why the priest prays in the name of Christ. That's why it is that he's not talking about human matters. He's talking about Divine things The salvation of our soul Eternity And so the whole perspective Is different from the new Mass Which the perspective is Centered upon Man How you feel The congregation The people The assembly Not upon Almighty God And in that You can say Look There are four purposes of prayer And four purposes of the Mass Where do you find them? Adoration Thanksgiving Reparation for sin And petition That's what all prayer is about That's what the greatest of prayers The Holy Sacrifice of the Mass is about That's what you have to look for And you'll find the true Mass It's not nostalgia It is truth And it is adoration Thanksgiving Reparation for sin And petition for God's graces That's what we're in church for That's what we come for That's what our souls need
0: I've, I've used that argument I, I actually have and And then we get into things like, well, the vestments are different and and this and I always get sidetracked into this whole discussion of things like vestments. Well, look how modern the vestments look compared to what what we have it just it just lifts and elevates your spirit more when you have you know in the Latin mass the way the vestments look and it it, it always deteriorates into just things like that, and the vestments are allowed to change, are they not?
2: It's certainly true that the vestments have changed over the centuries and the, there has been a development. But what is characteristic of the vestments is that the, they must express the sacred.
0: Father, have there always been, so to speak, modernists? Now, not modernists necessarily like we think of modernists today, but throughout the Catholic history, have there always been people who wanted to change, progressive, I guess?
2: Well, this brings back to the whole question of the liturgical movement. Now, the liturgical movement started off in the 19th century. Don Guéranger, who was a French Benedictine abbot, was the father of the liturgical movement. And it had as its purpose to restore the liturgy, especially the high masses and and solemn ceremonies, to the glory of former times. It was nothing to do with changing anything. Mm. And the liturgical movement was particularly encouraged by... Saint Pius the Tenth, at the beginning of the twentieth century, particularly in his promotion of the Gregorian chant, which he wanted restored to his place of of of, of primacy, and have the, the, the people assist also in the Gregorian chant. And the popes that followed, particularly Pope Pius the Eleventh, Pope Pius the Twelfth, encouraged that likewise. However, in the nineteen twenties, uh, a, a movement of revolution crept into the uh, liturgical movement. And they wanted to try and bring about a change and make the liturgy set upon the people, not upon Almighty God. Mm. And they started their experiments. The experiments started in the 1930s already with liturgies in the vernacular such as in German, and, and turning the altars around, facing the people. And that's why in 1947, Pope Pius XII had to write an encyclical on the sacred liturgy. He entitled it Mediato Dei, the mediator of God and man. Mm-hmm. And in it, he makes the point, the good aspects of the liturgical movement, how it enables people to understand and cooperate in the traditional mass, and then the bad, the revolutionary. And he condemns, 15 years ahead of time, all the things that will be promoted by the Second Vatican Council after him. He condemns getting rid of black vestments. He condemns turning the altar around. For example... Uh, it, it condemns using the vernacular instead of Latin, and so on. And he and he points out that we must not confuse the ordained priesthood with the priesthood of the faithful, because this distinction is a question of faith and it's essential to understanding the holy sacrifice of the Mass. Whereas in the new Mass, of course, there is the deliberate effort effort to confuse the priesthood, which is ordained, and the priesthood of the laity, as it's called, which is the lay people and their role. And that confusion and the refusal to give to the ordained priest the role which is his due is one of the major errors of the new mass that Pope Pius XII saw coming ahead of time and which he condemned in 1947. So to answer your question, yes, they did start through the influence of modernism, condemned at the beginning of the 20th century, in the 1930s, 1940s, 1950s, already starting to bring in changes. And already a certain Anibal Buñini was involved in the in in Rome in some of these uh, efforts to bring about changes. We all know that Anibal Buñini is the man who framed the new mass, (laughs) which was promulgated by Pope Paul VI in 1969. And so, yes, it was prepared for decades ahead of time. But under the time of Pope Pius XII, kept under control, but it did exist. And then when he died, everything exploded because there was no longer any controls at all.
1: And so there, when where, where did they – what did they start with, I guess?
2: Uh, can you break it down a little bit? Oh, the changes. Where they, yeah, where they started the changes. They started the changes in 1965, right at the end of the Second Vatican Council. By eliminating the prayers at the foot of the altar, the prayers after mass, the leonine prayers, the last gospel, and then in 1967 they made a normative mass, which they eliminated the signs of the cross and the genuflections, but the same prayers. Then they and at the same time they started using the vernacular even for the uh, for the Canon of the Mass, and that prepared the way for the new mass, which was published on the 3rd of April, 1969, by order of Pope Paul VI. Let
0: me let me stop you right there, Father, because we're uh, going to be up against the clock, and we're going to get to news with Stephen Cox, uh, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, we want to talk about, a little bit about May crowning and stuff, but I want to continue on with this. Father, I have a question. Uh, well, we'll come back. We'll come back. It has to do with... Uh, Generations past and generations now that have grown up, because we have a number of people who grew up in tradition now.
1: Right. Uh,
0: nuance there. Anyway, Father Peter Scott with us via Skype from South Africa. with Mike and Lisa Austin here on Magnificat Radio at MagnificatMedia.com, where we are.
1: Living our faith.